This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe, the number is 94198377. You've been listening Since the, bicycle, since the bicycle makes little demand on material or energy resources, contri- contributes little to pollution, makes a positive contribution to health and causes little or no injury, it can be regarded as the most benevolent of machines. That's from Stuart S. Wilson. Wonderful, bluesy feeling, cold, <laughs> rainy, south, southwesterly, inclement weather, on again, off again, Melbourne Day. You're back listening to the Arabug Radio Show here on Radical Radio 3CR. Streaming, podcasting, or listening on the transistor on the kitchen and the 855 AM dial. You're back for another. Roundup of bicycle news and events, and I'm joined this morning. Thank God you're back, Faith. (laughs) (laughs) She went away, but she came back. Good to see you again, Faith. I was kind of regretting it this morning, riding to the studio, as I rode through at least two seasons, and and neither of them particularly warm. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But you were heartened by the amount of foliage on the elm and the plane trees, all those Colonial trees, I should got to say, that are everywhere in Melbourne. Yes. Not much indigenous, indigenous tree cover here in Melbourne. We've wiped out most of it. But anyway, it's good enough to ride. It's one of those, I mean, you've got to decide whether you get on the bike or you, what do you do? Well, it's not that bad to ride. People no. ride in uh, much uh, less hospitable climates than this, so I think... Um, yeah, and you always get there in the end, and if you don't feel like riding one day, you can just jump on a tram. Exactly. I'm always struck by questions I get answered, I get asked in this sort of weather, oh, you didn't really ride to work. And I said, well, probably no other way to do it. <laughs> and the thing is that actually my usual answer is if you add it up over a year, there's probably one or two days that you're actually going to get really wet. Yeah. And if one of them's riding home, 
where you're into a hot shower or a hot bath when you get home, so it probably doesn't make much difference. I was thinking that as we as I rode in this morning, thinking I said that three weeks ago to somebody. I've had four days now. In the last three weeks of getting absolutely drenched. Well, that is spring. It's the wetter season and it's very unpredictable and you do get a lot of change in the course of the day. And it's not like we don't need the rain on the driest continent on the planet. Oh, Faith, you've stacked up with bike moments, have you? <laughs> um, I've got a few. I mean, I don't know which, which I was... I was thinking of... Um, I'll go for the 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 nicest one. Um, I think anyone who's had teenagers, um, you know, you, you know, there are times where they are they want to separate themselves a bit from family events and family stuff. Um, Drop me off a block from school. Sorry, and, hey, yeah, no, no, sorry, I'm yeah. interrupting. And Shut up. Um, you know, establish. That they're their own person, yep. um, and you know our son who's had to ride his bike all his life because we don't really drive anywhere. Um, went through a period, probably about sixteen or so, that um, he was no longer coming on bike rides. Yeah, that was our thing, and he yep. wasn't into it. Um, and the last few years, he he did get back into bikes, but it was his own thing. He didn't do it with his parents. So we we were all in Japan recently, and um, we have bikes over there. Um, and you know, the last few trips there, it was oh, we're going for a ride. Are you coming? No, I'm staying here to play games. <laughs> but um, so this time he was interested, and he did come on rides, and not just a few, all of them. And he he did really enjoy it. And so I had one of these moments. There's a view on one particular route along the river back from the sea towards um, the area we are and you can see the Mount Yotai, the local sort of volcano uh, that's very dominant in the landscape, looming up ahead and he was riding just ahead of me and and just in that moment getting the full, oh, he's, he's back and we can do this together again. It was uh, very nice. Now, that's an extra special bike moment, isn't it? <laughs> it's not only just looking at the physicality of the place, but it's coming back on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, that, you know, there's something you can all do together again. No. Um, oh, God, mine's terrible. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> this is not a competition, Val. Relaxed. Um, I've... Um, anybody who has been riding the last couple of weeks has certainly tested out their wet weather gear. Um I've got a I've got a lovely waterproof jacket, and it's one of those ones that's cut fairly long at the back. There, it's a bit non-breathable, but I mean, you can't have everything, and uh, you know, that you, you shouldn't have to spend upwards of hundreds of dollars to buy a decent raincoat. Anyway, I like this raincoat, but nearly every time I ride in the rain, I forget its one drawback. Now I sit a little bit upright and. Um, I've got a heavily sprung saddle, and so when I sit it uh, on the bike, the raincoat covers it all the way down to the saddle, and the thing that I always forget on the first ride back with it is when I come to the first red light or spot where I've got to stop, I don't realise that the back of the uh, raincoat has become 
stuck underneath the saddle. Snagged. And I go, shoom, come <laughs> off the saddle, and all of a sudden I find myself heading uh, horizontally in a wrong direction. <laughs> it gives me the fright of my life every time I do it. Then I become so phobic about it, I even tuck it in but under. But just a, um, it's one of those funny things that you just, uh, you got to be catch of. Uh, very good. <laughs> so what you're saying is it doesn't rain often enough. Um, for you to remain in a zen-like <laughs> position, no, and that awful position where you actually rise up in the saddle and think, "I can't go another inch you, here, yep. and where am I going to go?" Yeah. Anyway, the perils of rain gear, but at least keeps me dry, keeps me toasty warm. That's all it's meant to do. Even if it is on dangerous, the ground. yeah. <laughs> as, as my poor aching body falls sideways, it's not a good look, I'm telling you. I want to get a motorist to get out of a car and help me get vertical again. It's one of life's great disappointments. Now, have we got a little bit of news? We do. Um, just oh. a couple of things. Um, yep. One is I just wanted to alert everyone, and many oh. of you may have heard of it, but the story of... Uh, Tommy Quick's ride to the four points of Australia. Um, this was a ride Tommy Quick began uh, a couple of years ago, and the goal was to ride 9,000 kilometres to the four most extreme points of mainland Australia. Um, and this was to raise awareness and uh, r- research funding for um, stroke victims. Tommy suffered a stroke at the age of 12, Ooh. and... Um, that has obviously had an impact on his life. So he set out to do this ride um, in 2021, starting from the western tip of Western Australia. He rode across the Nullarbor to the most southern tip of Victoria, the most eastern point of Australia in Cape Byron, and all the way to the northern tip of the continent at Cape York. It's some riding. It's been an epic journey and to make it even more epic on that journey he was struck by a car which left him with a year of rehabilitation to recover from the injuries he incurred Um, but he will next weekend on the 22nd of October be riding into Melbourne to finish so he'll be uh, arriving at the Footscray Rowing Club on Sunday the 22nd of October where dozens of riders are expected to join him on the final uh, kilometre or so and to greet him there. So um, I think that's a great um, event and a great piece of news that he's accomplished that. Um, There is a Four Points website where you can um, donate money to his cause or, of course, as well, it would be great to see as many people turn up to welcome him back. Yeah. So if you Google Tommy Quick and Four Points, you'll find the website, but we'll also put a link up with um, the podcast. And you can also find it on the Bicycle Network newsroom. There's some details there. Ah, cool. How many years does it say? Have it oh, he's had, a year, he's had a fair bit of time off. But well, he had one year off re- yeah. rehabilitation. Um, so... He began probably about two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's an epic journey in it anyone's is. book. And um, 
it's he rides a recumbent bicycle. Yep. Um, but has yeah, been overcome quite a lot on the way. I mean, getting hit by a car would be enough to put anyone off. It would be. Hmm. It would be. And also coming up this week on Wednesday is Ride to Work Day. I saw that. Yep. So that's a, a reminder to look out for your local events. Yep. Um, and if you are heading into the city, there will be a few spots at which Bicycle Network are popping up around Melbourne, um, particularly at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre, where there will be coffee, food and bike tuning. Um, there will also be some at the co- corner of Charman Road and Beach Road in Mentone. The Good Bicycles Hub at Docklands will also have the police doing bike engraving and bike tuning services um, and a few other events around the place. Yeah. That's Wednesday. That's Wednesday. Wednesday. Um, weather's going to be great. Yep. And I think, um, you know, it's interesting, the the ride to work counts, I think, um, and the ride to work day, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a great opportunity to encourage people to change that trip. But I do wonder if maybe we need a ride to the shops day or a ride to yeah. something that's not so much about commuting but about local trips. Yeah, something that's not directly tied to the capitalist system. <laughs> well, the shops might be, but, um, but yes, ride to your library day. You can always go window shopping. Nothing yeah. says you actually have to purchase yeah. anything. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's been going for a long time. Um, I presume they still get a fair few numbers. Do they still do a fairly good count? I haven't lught over the last couple of years so I've got to say well, I'm not sure that right to work day is counting it's oh, no. encouraging people to make that switch yeah. so and it's the perfect week this week Monday's your only bad day yeah I didn't see any numbers for around the bay the other day so I presume that went went along oh, well I think they had seven thousand people that's that was, enough yeah it was a great event I still remember my first round the bay in 2000 <laughs> <laughs> and it was a. What was really good this year was that the speed limit was lowered for a section of it for motor vehicles. Yep. And uh, a lane was um, of traffic was set aside for the riders. So, um, oh, good. really good achievements in the organisational side of things there. Yeah. Um, look, um, just the uh, thing I picked up during the week is. Um, if you're aware the cars on the road are getting bigger and bigger, 50% of new car sales are what we would call, we never used to call them SUVs, but now we do, and four-wheel drives, dual cabs, which has led to, uh, this is coming from Standards Australia, although I don't think there's a commitment to it, they are looking at changing the size of a standard car parking space. So just to give you a rough idea, I think the original standard we're on now was um, set in about 1993 when a Ford Falcon was 4.9 metres long by 1.8 metres wide and the size, that standard size of um, car parking was 5.4 metres by 2.4 to 2.6 metres which fitted the Ford Falcon, Holden Commodore, all those, the normal 
uh, high volume of cars that were sold. So there are a couple of things going on here. There's a push to actually lengthen the car parks by about 27 metres, and I haven't seen any uh, thing to make them wider, but I would imagine if you're looking at a Hilux now, it's about 5.3 metres long. Some of these cars are up to 6 metres long. I'm sure if anybody rides past a, a angle parking, I mean, I can see it outside Citizens Park in Richmond. A lot of those cars would be hard up against the front. The back half of them's in the bicycle lane with a great big tow bar, of course. So there's a little bit of a push to make bigger car parks. And, of course, you're getting this whole pushback, of course. Do we actually change the car parking to suit what people are buying or do we discourage what people are buying by not changing the car parks? And, look, it was a, it's a bit of a problem, but I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, look, if I was part of an international conspiracy to get rid of cars and four-wheel drives, there's a bit of an own goal you could cook kick here, if I were to make them wider and longer uh, and before I go on to just uh, physical dimensions the other physical dimension, most of these cars are a ton heavier than a normal sedan and if you throw in electric cars which are about another ton heavier than their uh, equivalent in a sedan if you structured those numbers correctly you could get rid of 10% of car parking spaces you I'm could. just, I'm just writing this as a, you know, as as a alter, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, no, we're, we're going to make park car parking bigger. Mm. It's an opportunity here to get rid of a few. Well, and and this standard, as I understand it, pertains to the spaces provided in private parking. So, yes. I I don't see a problem with having less parking available. Yeah, but the problem is that those standards will eventually be used for the parking spaces on the roads. Yeah, and then. And the road lanes will also yep. have to be widened. Yep. So what we're doing is we're taking a space that we already see as congested and where space is heavily contested yep. and uh, allocating more of it to cars. To a one vehicle. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, it's really a point at which you need to look at, do we change the standards for parking or do we change the standards for, for cars. motor vehicles yeah. allowed to be imported into yeah. Australia. I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek here. Yeah, I get yep. that. Yep. But, you know, and having just spent almost four weeks in a, you know, where we are in Japan, um, there's a massive amount of development um, and development on a huge scale. We're talking hotels that have eight or 900 rooms yep. and there's not just one or two. These are yep. being built everywhere. So construction is and has been booming there for years. And all that happens with all the local labourers using tiny, tiny okay. little utilities. Yep. Um, the key trucks that a lot of people really admire and you, you are starting to see some people import into Australia. But, you know... The same materials, the same tools, everything are uh, moved around in these tiny, Tru tiny yeah. little trucks that, while being tiny and light, 
have the same carrying capacity as most of those yeah. much larger vehicles. So, yeah, um, I think it is uh, an opportunity to take a good look at the size of the vehicles we're willing to accept on yep. our roads uh, and that we can fix. We can fix. And on that note, we'll be back to talk about more of that just in a sec. Yarrabug would like to thank our sponsor, Vacro's Second Chance Cycles, for their financial support. Second Chance Cycles is a fantastic community workshop that recycles bikes, trains people in bike mechanics, and sells bikes to the local community. If you have a healthcare card, they'll give you a bike free of charge. To find out more, search for Vacro online or drop into the underground car park, Harmsworth Street, Collingwood, any Tuesday or Thursday. And you're back listening to the Arabug Radio Show on 3CR. Um, one thing I came home to was a couple of uh, books that I'd been after, and I thought I'd just mention them in case anyone else was interested in them too. Um, both of these books are also books that have now been made available in Marybeck Libraries, so if anybody... Um, is interested, they could do an interlibrary loan or check if your own library has uh, had them in. One is called Inclusive Transportation, a Manifesto for Repairing Divided Communities by Veronica Davis. And this is uh, a small but pretty powerful little book looking at the ways that decisions about transportation planning have been made in the past. The lack of diversity in the decision makers and the impacts those have had on communities. And I think this is something that people are probably starting to be much more aware of now. But um, Veronica Davis really brings this out in this book and um, has a lot of examples and case studies from the United States where she is based and it is informed by a lot of uh, what has happened in the States. But there's certainly a lot that we can see here yep. in Australia. She's particularly concerned about the impacts. Um, I think her interest originally arose from the impacts that you see on black communities in yep. the United States. Um, but goes through all the different sorts of ways in which this can play out, in, including looking at impacts on the disabled but also socio-economic communities that are uh, uh, you, you don't see represented in the people making no. these decisions and where there hasn't been um, the awareness to examine those impacts. Um, yep. So that's really worth looking at. Um, it is brought out by Island Press, published just this year. Yep. Well worth it. Um, Inclusive Transportation, a Manifesto for Repairing Divided Communities by Veronica Davis. And we'll put a link up to it with the podcast. But the other one that... Uh, yes, this uh, is a great... Anyway, sorry, <laughs> I can't stop interrupting. I'm going no, to turn away. No, no, that's fine. You've taken the mic with you, Val. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, the interruption's good. It's, it's context. Yeah. <laughs> um, Trafficking, how cars destroy nature and what we can do about it. 
by Paul Donald. And this is really, for me at least, a reasonably new lens. Um, yes. For looking at, you know, we, we do look like Veronica Davis has that. The, we're more increasingly aware of the impact of cars on people. Yep. And uh the landscape and communities. Styles of transportation, and, choices yeah. of transportation. Yeah. But this is really um, looking and inserting that within an examination of the history of like environmental issues and, and yeah. what that impact has been. Uh, one person has described it as doing for road traffic what Silent Spring did for did agrochemicals. For, yeah. Uh, and it uses the latest research to present a bold new explanation for the drastic loss of wildlife from our countryside. Uh, and that's a, a really comprehensive um, book with a lot of case studies written from the UK and, yep. and very much focused on um, what has happened in the UK, but again with uh, lessons that can be uh, applied all over the world. Yeah. And one of his big things is noise. And I think, as he says, um, it impacts up to two miles away from the road. And as he was... uh, Look, both these books are... uh, Paul Donald and uh, Veronica O. Davis have got separate episodes on War on Cars. So I'll put them both... I'll put the links up on um, the thing. And look, it's um, from actually killing diversity in among species, killing genetic diversity in intraspecies as well, as roads divide where they come from. Rising of cortisol levels as far as road noise in badgers, bears, birds. So really, when you're the reference to Rachel Carson's um, um, sorry, a book is interesting, and look, he makes the point, it's not that uh, Rachel Carson said we've got to stop using pesticides, um, especially DDT at that stage. Her point, and I think Paul Donald's point, is we've got to be much more aware of actually the damage we're doing. He's One of the nice analogies he drew was if you think about noise as passive smoking, we don't realise the damage, one, it's doing to us, but then the damage it's doing to our, especially vertebrate species. It's mm. really, this is really quite specific about the damage it does to us. One of my... Oh, well, I've got two minutes. One of my Sunday walks is um, down to... There's a place called the Kevin Bartlett um, Reserve alongside the Yarra, full of um, playing grounds. But sitting up on the hill is this wonderful... Burnley Garden that was built as a horticultural botanical garden when the Melbourne University Horticultural College was set up, or to be more specific, where we grew all the plants that we took cuttings from, fruit trees, all those things in the uh, 1860s here in Melbourne, all come from there. And right alongside it is that freeway, the southeastern freeway. And I'm struck, and every time with Hugo and I usually walk there on Sunday mornings, you would the traffic's compared to a Monday morning. Obviously, it's a lot lighter, but it's fairly invasive. I can walk through that garden, which is just completely covered in vegetation. There is hardly a bird in it. 
I can walk a kilometre a quarter back to Burnley Park, which has got some roads around it, but the place is full of birds. Mm. It's really quite interesting how, I'm not saying this is what caused it, but you notice how much that noise and that deep rumbling noise has an impact on this. And um, that is... All we have time for today. I just want to quickly mention Critical Mass North is coming up on October 27th. It's a spooky dress-ups Critical Mass leaving from the State Library at 5.30 and with a pick-up point at Park Street Reserve in Fitzroy North for those who don't want to ride all the way or you might have the kids with you. Yep. It's family-friendly, totally inclusive and calling on... Darabin Council and the Victorian Government to invest in safe separated bike lanes along High Street and to reinstate the Streets Replace Investment Program to deliver safe cycling across Darabin. I'm sure Chris will give that another mention next week, but um, very important to put that in your diary. Yep. That's all we have time for today. And next up is... Sheba. Oh. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.